0: All right, thank you, the banks. Appreciate that so very much. Am I on? I'm on here. Okay, take your Bibles and turn to Nahum chapter 2. And we're Nahum chapter 2 and verse 7 this morning. Nahum in the Old Testament there. And um, if you go right there, then we'll start there in just a few moments. I look back to no, uh, September 2nd, should I say, September 2nd, 1984. And I stood down here at the invitation time with my wife and three children and we joined the church. I came as the associate pastor. And so that was this same date back in 1984. It's 34, is that 34? 34 years ago. There's, I think there's a picture in the back of all of us there and I'm the only one that hasn't changed. You know, I I didn't watch, I did not watch the funeral yesterday, but my, you know, how the news keeps coming, flashing over and saying, you know, look at this, you know, this, you know, this one said this, and this one said that, and it it became a political thing instead of a funeral. You know, you think a funeral, you preach the gospel instead of politics. So I'm going to tell this story just out of that, Uh, there's a surgeon and an architect, and and a politician, and of course, all three of them are what they call theistic evolutionists. Does that sound important? Theistic evolutionist uh, simply means these guys believe that God started creation, but then He just set in order evolution. But He was over it. But evolution, everything evolved. In other words, they try to please both sides. And neither side respects them. But that's what they call them: is theistic evolutionists. And so they're arguing about who has the oldest profession. And the surgeon says, I think mine is, don't forget, Eve was made from the rib of Adam. That sounds like surgery to me. The architect, which just shows the wrongness of, of theistic evolution, he says, yes, but before Adam there was chaos. And he says, that sounds like architecture to me. And the politician said, yes, but guess who created the chaos? (laughs) And that's about true today, isn't it? Look, you want to try to let good men, but realize, uh, take everything to the Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, in prayer. And do the work that he's called us to do. And I think that you'll see much more gets accomplished. Much more. Well, in our text, we're in Nahum chapter 2 and verse 7. And there it says, and Huzzab shall be led away captive. She shall be brought up with her maids, uh, brought up and her maids shall lead her as with the voice of doves taboring upon their breast. Now shall we pray? Father, I pray now, Lord, that not one person will be able to be indifferent to the word of God as it's preached today. I pray, Lord, that it will not be my words, it be your word. And that I'll just be the messenger of God today, bringing his word. Help me to be sensitive to the Holy Ghost, but Lord, I pray that you'd help each one in this auditorium to be sensitive to the Holy Ghost. I pray that you'd speak to each heart, and I pray that not one person would have a heart of resistance to thy spirit. If there's one in our auditorium who does not know that they died today, that heaven's their home, I pray that today would be the very day they come to know Jesus Christ as their Savior. If there's one who has wandered from you, I pray that today would be the day to come home. But edify the saints especially, to build them up and strengthen us in the faith in these last and dark days and glorify the name of Jesus Christ in everything. And we would ask this in that name that's above every name, the name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. In the first, uh, ver- in the verses 3 through 6, should I say, we saw that Nineveh, the capital city for the Assyrian armies, is totally destroyed, just the total destruction. Although at that time they were the superpower of that day. Armies had tried to defeat Nineveh, and unfortunately, they lost and lost miserably. They were unable to penetrate those great walls that went around Nineveh. So God moves in, and he destroys it with a flood of waters like man had never seen in that area before. It was so complete that the armies that were nearby, all they had to do was just move in and finish off whatever was left there of a defenseless city and army. And thus they brought down that world power. Now, I believe that God gave these words that we're reading today to Nahum, word for word to Nahum, as a matter of fact, to show not only the soon coming destruction that was going to hit Nineveh, but I believe that he's showing also the day of the Antichrist and the judgment to come and the tribulation. Remember, right now we're living what a lot of people call the day of grace, although I like to think of God's grace was from the very beginning. It wasn't new, and even those that got saved in the Old Covenant still got saved by the grace of God. But the day that we live here today in this, this new era, this new covenant, you might say, the, the church age, some call it. But however you want to identify it, Uh, The next event is the rapture. And when that takes place, everyone who knows Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior is going to be caught up. The Bible says, in a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trump, for the trumpet shall sound and the dead shall be raised incorruptible. First Thessalonians tells us that, uh, that the Lord will come with a shout with the voice of the archangel and the trump of God, and the dead in Christ shall rise first. That's the Methodists, the Presbyterians. Uh, not really. The dead in Christ shall rise first. Then we which are alive and are, uh, are, will be caught up together with him in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and so shall we ever be with the Lord. That's, that's the Bible. That's the Bible. So that's the next thing. It could happen today. It could happen to this, this very day. It's the next event to happen. That will be followed by a seven-year tribulation period. Now, that seven years will not begin until a covenant is signed with the world leader Israel. and Israel, Now that covenant may be right after the tribulation, it may, uh, right after the rapture, it may be a few years after the rapture. I don't know. The Bible doesn't give us clearly what it will be, but we know by Daniel 9, 24 through 27, that he shall confirm the covenant for one week. Which means a seven-year period. In the middle of that seven-year period, the Antichrist has set himself up in Israel, in Jerusalem, as to be worshipped, and all the world will think, "Oh, nobody can defeat him. He's he's great. Not even God can contend with him. He'll even challenge God." And so this guy will lead up and rise up and and have great power. And he'll probably be the most powerful ruler that man has ever known. No one can seem to overcome him. And finally, it'll get worldwide where they'll be saying, who can make war with him? He puts to death the, the two witnesses of Revelation chapter 11, the two messengers of God. However, those two rise again three and a half days later. But because of his power over them, it will cause all the world to wander after him. Now, having said that and looking at our text, I want us to view our text and keep two passages of Scripture in mind as we read it. The first passage is Romans chapter 9, verses 28 and 29, where we read, For he will finish the work and cut it short in righteousness, because a short work will the Lord make upon the earth. And as Isaiah saith, before, uh, except the Lord of Sabaoth had left us a seed, we had been as Sidama, and even like Antigamara. The work is short. But it's righteous. It's just like with Sodom and Gomorrah. That's why he used it, just using a different spelling of it there in the New Testament. But just as Sodom and Gomorrah, it's an instant thing. It's taken care of in a day. And the Lord will do that at that time. Sodom and Gomorrah were destroyed it for its fornicating sin as well as for its homosexuality, or sodomy as the Bible would refer to it. Revelation chapter 19, verses 19 and 20 tells us that God will quickly remove this leader, this world leader, this beast, the Antichrist, and will move not only him, but the religious leader that caused people to worship this Antichrist and his image. And we find in Revelation chapter 19, uh, 19, verses 19 and 20, which is the second one I want you to keep in mind, He says, and I saw the beast and the kings of the earth and their armies gathered together to make war against him that sat upon the horse. Now understand, the kings of the earth, they all say nobody can defeat this antichrist, this beast. Nobody can defeat him. So they all get together as they see Christ. The clouds are rolled back as a scroll. And he's sitting on that huge white horse. And all the armies of heaven following behind him. If you're saved, you'll be on that horse behind him. And they're coming back. And now the world is saying, okay, it's time to fight him. And so, him that sat on the horse and against his army. In verse 20 says, and the beast was taken. And with him the false prophet that wrought miracles before him with which he deceived them that had received the mark of the beast, and them that had worshipped his image. These both were cast alive into the lake of fire, burning with brimstone, and that's where they'll be forever and ever. You die without Christ, there'll be two of the people you'll be there with. Now, it's a short work. It's a same-day work. The beast with his false prophet are put out, And the Lord begins his restoration work of Israel. As the people and the leaders all depended upon their walls and their superior military in Nineveh, so too will the world have confidence in this world leader, which the Bible calls the beast and the Antichrist. As a matter of fact, he's called more the beast than he is the Antichrist in the Bible. The people of Nineveh, day had their confidence in the city. Proverbs chapter 21, verse 22, states it this way. A wise man scaleth the city of the mighty and casts down the strength of the confidence thereof. Well, the wisest man of all, the man Christ Jesus, will cast their confidence down as he places these world leaders in the eternal lake of fire. And then he sets up a righteous kingdom. And that's why I lay that out there because I want you to see the short and the complete work of our text today. First, I want you to see the ignominy. Proverbs 18 and verse 3 says it this way, When the wicked cometh, then cometh the also, contempt and with ignominy, reproach. Our text said, and Huzzab shall be led away captive. Now, the word Huzzab, when I was studying that, it, it has many different applications. As I would read, one commentary, it said one thing. Another commentary, say said something else. So I said, just go to the Hebrew lexicon and see what it says. And so that's what I did. And, and this is the result of looking that definition up. He says, first of all, a place established and firm. Well, that was Nineveh in its day. It was established, and, and it was in its place. It was number one. And it will seem like that, that the beast is that nobody can remove him. That's what it will seem in the tribulation hour. And so, he says it's a place established and firm. Then secondly, the actual place of command and authority. In that day, it was Nineveh. In the tribulation hour, it's going to be right there in Jerusalem when he goes in. And he sets himself up to be worshipped and to have an image of him made. And, and you read about that in the book of Revelation. As a matter of fact, I believe that the Antichrist will destroy Rome in Rome, uh, Revelation chapter 17 and 18. A lot of them look at that as Babylon of old. I don't because there's too many things in Scripture that shows that he's calling that Babylon. But it is not the Babylon that, of old. People want to make that the Muslims. I don't think it's necessarily the Muslims. I think something else is going to happen to them in the 1040 window when the kings of the east march through there. But this Antichrist destroys Rome because this religion is hindering what he and his false prophet are trying to do. And since they're not built on the Lord Jesus Christ, they're built on Mary and so many other things, they're easily destroyed. They're put down. In Psalms chapter 82 verse 1, it states this, God standeth in the congregation of the mighty and judgeth among the gods. The congregation of the almighty, in other words, the the almighty is the super spirits of all of them. All these things that people may call gods, whether it's the devil and his angels, whether it's Michael and the angels of heaven, God, he standeth in the midst of them and he judges. He's the one that stands there. He's the one that's almighty. They can only do certain things, but they are not almighty. God standeth in the congregation of the mighty and judgeth among the gods. But that word standeth is the same Hebrew word that's being used to be translated huzzab. Even in the Old Testament, God, and in his word, is the ultimate and final authority In John chapter 12, verse 48, Jesus said that it was by his words that in that day, when we stand before the Lord, we will be judged. In Hebrews chapter 4, verses 12 and 13, it tells us the word of God is quick and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the dividing asunder of the soul and the spirit and the joints and the marrow and is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. And he goes on in the next verse to tell us, in verse 13 of Hebrews chapter 4, that everything is naked and open to the eyes with him of whom we have to do. And by that he means this. You have to do with the judge of the universe, almighty God. And there's not one thing, there's not one thought, there's not one intent, There's not one word. There's not one deed. There's nothing that you've been able to hide from God. You can fool men, but you cannot fool God because God looketh on the heart. So again, by looking at God's word, it is the final authority. Huzzab was not the name of a god. It was not the name of a queen. With the context of the chapter... For that day, it would only mean Nineveh, because Nineveh had established itself as the superpower of that day. It was the number one. That was it. That was the superpower. Nobody got past them. Now, as we see the devastation of Nineveh in that day, I mean, that flood just came through there and wiped everything out. That's not a place that floods, but it did then. And I believe I told you in an earlier sermon Alexander the Great and his armies marched over that, had no idea that they were, their, their chariots and their armies were marching over the place where there once used to be a city. It was just sand. The destruction was so complete. It was forgotten. It wasn't until the 1800s that they found any semblance of it through archaeology. Oh, the man in hell. There, he's never able to cease to exist. He's not able to pass away. He'll always be there. But he'll be forgotten by mankind. Think of that. The devastation was total. But the devastation of the Antichrist kingdom will also be total when Jesus Christ comes back. Now, let me just try to give an illustration of how that would be. Imagine the little island nation that we've seen in the uh, news media over the last several years, Haiti. Haiti, okay. I mean, if there was something that was a nation that is weak, it is Haiti. Imagine Haiti coming into the United States and defeating it in one day and destroying it. He says, it's not going to happen. No, I, I hope it doesn't happen. But I don't think it has the capability. But it'd be easier in the eyes of the world for Haiti to do that to us than it will be for anybody to undo the kingdom of the Antichrist, the beast. And Christ will do it in one day. He was God come in the flesh. Why could he not do it in one day? If he created the heavens and the earth, nothing is impossible for God. You see, people who survive the fall of the beast because they did not receive that mark and they did not march with him, I believe that they will also be amazed. Now the word captive in our text is defined as to strip to unveil, to disclose, to lead away, to remove. It's a stark exposure in order to make someone ashamed. And to do so publicly, it is a public humiliation. And there's where the word ignominy that I use from Proverbs comes in. It was a public disgrace. And again, he says, when the wicked cometh then cometh also contempt and with ignominy. Public disgrace, reproach. All that wicked Antichrist is in there. But the reproach is coming. A public disgrace. The Antichrist will be publicly disgraced before all. And that old serpent, Satan, the devil, according to Revelation chapter 20, verses 2 and 3, will be chained in a pit for 1,000 years. And then this earth will know. The fullness of what God wanted to do if man had not sinned. They'll see the blessings of the harvest going into seed time. Because it's so plentiful. Of the health of the people. All in that 1,000 year period that follows this. But oh, the ignominy of those who die without Jesus Christ. The fame, the fun, the fancies, the power that sin and rebellion had provided will never match the disgrace of hell, the ignominy of hell. And the public humiliation, and, and as the books were opened, as a man stands there at the great white throne of Christ without, without Jesus Christ, without salvation, he stands there, the books are open, and every thought, every word, every deed, every intent of his heart is made known, and he knows that hell is his destiny before he's cast into that eternal lake of fire. Oh, my friend, don't play Russian roulette with your soul. The Bible says that all the hidden things of darkness in 1 Corinthians 4, 5, things you don't think anybody else knows about, the hidden things of darkness will be made known. There'll be people at the white throne judgment, I believe, that people say, man, that was such a good person. And every bit of it is going to be destroyed when God reveals the real person. So we see the ignominy of the white throne judgment. By the way, there's somewhat of that at the judgment seat of Christ, where every saved person goes. Some are saved by so saved so as by fire. The Bible says, "No reward, just saved, just there, ashamed." The Bible says at His appearing. There's the judgment of nations, and again, that's going to happen where He sh- separates the sheep from the goat nations. On, we could go about that. But oh my goodness, that brings us up to something else. We next see the infamy, not only the ignominy, but the infamy. Our text said, she shall be brought up." Infamy refers to a total loss of reputation. We've heard of of sexual scandals, of of drugs, of of, of thievery and and, and lies and a host of other sordid sins that have destroyed families. They've destroyed churches. They've even destroyed governments. Particularly, they have destroyed individual lives. The white throne judgment. Everything is exposed before casting into the lake of fire. That hypocrite will be exposed. Everything exposed because they refused to allow the blood of Jesus Christ to cleanse them from all their sin when God wanted to. The judgment of nations will reveal the nations and the people on earth that are goats or sheep. But my friend, that public identification for them, Brings infamy. But here's the thing: that is infamy for eternity. And for the judgment seat of Christ, as we said earlier, John, 1 John 2.28, ashamed at his appearing in 1 Corinthians 3.15, saved so as by fire, no works, no reward, just there. Luke 19, verse 17, Jesus was given an illustration of it. He had given these things to. to uh, he gave one pound to each one, and then then they were to go out and do something with it. One buried his instead of doing anything with it. One took his one and gained ten. The other gained five. And he said, "The one with five, you've got five more cities. You're going to be over." The other one took his pound, gained ten. He said, "You got ten cities. You're going to be over." The guy, at the one, other one, just dug it in the ground and, and hid it. Didn't even take it to the bank that it might gather interest. And he says, take from him that hath the one and give it unto him that hath the ten. You know, (laughs) communism or socialism says, take it from him and give it to another. You know, and that's the difference really in that kind of a thing. And I'm not trying to speak on government things. But communism, socialism says, we'll take to you to give to others. Christianity says, I'll take from myself and give it to others. Big difference, it really is. But getting back here on this thing, what I want you to understand is that here a person is, is seeing their reward. And, and why does he say take from him the one and give it to him that hath the ten? Because God had already planned to give a reward to that person. It was already laid up. But they failed in their life to follow the will of God. And so that reward God had for them was given to the other that will rule and reign with Christ forever. And they're just saved so as by fire. And they're not ruling and reigning over anything with Christ. They're just there. Now, being just there, the worst place in heaven will be a billion times better than the best place in hell. But nonetheless, what I want you to understand that that is what's coming And when we think so little of it, understand one day this sermon will come before your mind that you were warned. It'll be found out whether you abode faithful or not, but everybody will know. Will there be a shameless and infamy about your personal testimony when the last are made first and the first are made last? Yes, there is the ignominy, there is the infamy, but finally see the insult. The text says of our today in Nahum 2, it says, And her maids shall lead her as with the voice of doves taboring upon their breasts. Any gross abuse offered to others in either words or actions... Is basically the definition of the word insult. That's what happened in the day of Nineveh. The maids. Were basically the king's beautiful harem. That he kept. They lived the life of the palace. And its pleasures and riches. But now the great insult to the king. And to these maidens was to strip them publicly and make them walk in front of everybody as people mocked them and made fun of them. You see, today when the Islamics when they, when they conquer a nation, they'll build a mosque either on a sacred site that's very important to that nation or on the seat of power that that nation represented. And they'll try to build a mosque in that very area. That's why they tried to build one where the, when the Twin Towers came down, they tried, they really made an effort to try to build one there. Finally, there was enough to go against that. But that's what that was about. But it says here, as doves tabering upon their breast. Now, we don't think of doves as a warlike creature. I mean, the NFL season's getting ready to start and you don't say the Detroit Lions. I mean, you do say Detroit Lions, although they've played like doves lately, okay? But, yeah, I mean, Detroit doves. And here, coming onto the field, are the Detroit doves. <laughs> now, that doesn't come out too good. well. No, it's Detroit Lions, okay? And their fans go crazy. Well, in the same manner, doves aren't considered a warlike bird. So this idea of tabering, the word tabering means beating. They are hitting their breast in, 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 in disgrace and an embarrassment as they're led away. This isn't a Tarzan victory yell. It's the cry of loss and reputation and disgrace. The insult of abuse by words and action. Their guilt is known in Revelation chapter 20, verses 11 through 15, as those that appear before the judgment seat of Christ, I mean, before the great white throne of God. Those books are open, and every word, deed, thought, intent, everything is made known. The dark things of the past, they're made known. The hidden things of darkness are made known. and they enter into the eternal lake of fire as they are cast there. To a place where they'll never escape. To a place where they'll never cease to exist. To a place where they'll never cease to be tormented day and night forever. And there are people today that we know, that we love, that we care about, that are without Christ. that do not know if they die today that heaven's their home. They're headed for that eternal lake of fire. And just as our text, God will make a short work with no reprieve at all. But friend, in his love right now, he wants to save you from that destiny. That's why the love of God, God is a spirit, but one day God became a man. Because no man could pay the penalty for our sin. Our sin was against God, who's a spirit. Our sin was of our spirit. The word death means separation. We're separated from God forever. Doomed for a lake of fire. Doomed for a body that He'll place us in. Do you know why they didn't eat at the tree of, of life in the garden? We would have had to have remained in this body. I'm glad there's a new body in Christ Jesus that'll be fashioned like into his glorious body. But if you die without Christ, the body that you have in hell will be able to fill the flames of hell, the torments of hell, but it will not be able to escape. Not because I say so, not because I'm trying to be sensational. I'm not. You don't have to sensationalize the Bible. That's what it teaches. He says, all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. That's me, that's you, that's all of us. Every person born into the face of this earth needs a savior, but the love of God, but God commendeth his love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, just like we are, yet sinners, not that we get good enough for him to save us, we can while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us, that's love. He died, he paid the penalty, when he's on that cross, he's dying for every sin you ever have or ever will commit. Let me close with this illustration. Jesus told the Pharisees and the priests, the liars of their day, that were so knowledgeable in the Word of God, and they set all the rules, the, what they called biblical rules, weren't biblical rules, but they were setting them out there for them. Everybody said, boy, nobody's as holy as these guys. And Jesus says, you know what? The harlots, the publicans, and so forth, they go into the kingdom of God before you do. All those murderers or seasoned. They'll they'll make it to heaven when you don't. Well, how was that? Because they realized they were sinners and needed a Savior, just like the thief on the cross. But these guys are so religious, they don't know they needed a Savior. Don't bank on religion. Your hope and your only hope is in Jesus Christ. My friend, if you're not sure if you died today that heaven's your home, please don't put it off. Don't wait. Don't worry about, what will people think? I don't know what people will think now, but people, when you're before the judgment of God, say, man, that guy had a chance and didn't take it. That was stupid. All the insult, the infamy and ignominy that will stay with you for eternity in the lake of fire when it could have been avoided by receiving him this morning. Won't you come to him? Let's bow our heads, please.